Welcome to another episode of Barnyard Language. We are taking a brief holiday before starting season two of the podcast. This episode was previously released, but we think you will enjoy listening again, or maybe you're hearing it for the first time. We will be back in September with our first anniversary episode. As always, we would appreciate if you would follow, rate, and review the podcast so more people can find us. Even better, share your favorite episode with a friend. If you are a fan of the podcast, please consider becoming a patron through Patreon. Listener support means that we can continue to make the show. You know she's going to take anything you say and put it in a pod. Welcome to Barnyard Language. We are Katie and Arlene, an Iowa sheep farmer and an Ontario dairy farmer with six kids, two husbands, and a whole lot of chaos between us. So kick off your boots, reheat your coffee, and join us for some Barnyard Language, honest talk about running farms and raising families. In case your kids haven't already learned all the swears from being in the barn, it might be a good idea to put on some headphones or turn down the volume. While many of our guests are professionals, they aren't your professionals. If you need personalized advice, consult your people. Welcome back, everyone, to Barnyard Language. Thank you for joining us again today. We're so excited that you're here, and we start off in the same way as usual. Katie, how are things going on on the farm this week? Well, Arlene, the, the farm part's going pretty well. We're almost done with harvest. We're getting more corn an acre combined than we, we anticipated, which is good, except that we have the co-op bring a truck out we don't own a semi or anything so we're having to base our schedule around when they bring a truck rather than just being able to run through it because a we don't have that many wagons and b nobody really wants to haul wagons that far to town to the co-op sheep are good cows are good we had a bit of a cow escape this week but they're all back now everybody I mean, all the cows are just a handful or what most, was your uh, most, most yeah, yeah. We have a whole pen of weaned calves up in the barn separated from their mamas. And they've been separated for, I don't know, eight weeks or so. But they managed to get the chain off the gate. And so they bailed out of the barn and went and found their mamas and went through the Little fence reunion. from the outside in. And then the mamas and the calves went through the fence from the inside out. Because on one side of the fence is pasture, which is unexciting. And on the other side of the fence is fourth crop hay, which we won't more be bailing. Exciting. But it is clearly more interesting than what's on the inside of the fence. It's the, the hay really is greener on the other side. So, <laughs> yeah, in this situation, it sure was. Yeah, yeah. And how about the people part of the farm? We had the girl child's school conference last night. That's going well, except that her four-year-old preschool teacher told us that the school wants them to institute letter grades, like actual report cards, which Mm -hmm. is bullshit. We're dealing with health insurance enrollment, which is also bullshit. It's going to cost us upwards of, I think, $12,000 a year for insurance with a high deductible it's wow, my uh, Canadian eyes are bulging out of my be, head. Yeah, yeah. So that's a thing. I have some some big thoughts on that. Yeah. Other than that, I'm having kind of a rough week with the the chronic illness front. I realized that I've probably been ignoring a lot of signs in my existence that led to my body just kind of throwing a full on temper tantrum in the last couple of days. Like, fine, if you're not going to listen to me, I'll make you. Let's talk about our bodies. Hey, bodies are part of our lives, right? Bodies are part of our lives, aren't they? Maybe we'll just leave that part in. That's um, what our episode's all about. Double ear infection still in force. 
sinus infection still in force like none of it's major but it adds up to just a lot of bullshit and i'm having to learn to not power through because Mm -hmm. when you power through too long with various chronic illnesses you end up with a really bad situation because your body will get the rest one way or another anyway how's your life been arlene well, I think I've mentioned before that we have a bit of a, a baby boom at the moment. Not that there's more babies being born than usual in the barn, but that we're on a run of heifers, which is, I mean, normally dairy farmers, fantastic. That's what you want. We need a, a heifer tally. Like a yeah. So uh, since September, I think we were at 22 out of 27 heifers. So, I mean, you'd, you'd want 50% and and no sex semen, like there's, there's none, no, been, no special effort to try and get more heifers in this, this season of life. And then we got to the barn one morning for milking and we had twin heifers. So that was another, another bonus. So we're at the point where they had to, they now have to share a calf pen because we're at max capacity. They're not ready to be off pails yet. So our 20 calf calf room is maxed out but they're very cute snuggled in there together i'll uh, i'll post a picture someday and an added bonus is that we name our calves by year a letter of the alphabet per year so we're on the v year which is you know it's possible you can get enough v names out of a out of a calendar year but we're starting to scratch the bottom of the barrel for for naming as well so the new twins are vice versa so vice oh i like that versa are their names so yeah but we're our our list is getting depleted on the the v names and in the family side of things it's the week before halloween so we're still in that zone where we're negotiating are you coming trick-or-treating or are you not because i have a 15 year old who's definitely out a 13-year-old who, you know, it's candy, so he can be swayed either way. 10 and 7, or 10 and 6 are definitely both still in, but then we're in the, do you have a costume? Do I need to be involved in the costume? And how much involvement is required of me? So even this morning, they were allowed to wear costumes for school. There were still a few pieces being thrown together for, for costumes and have to wear face masks at school, not Halloween masks. So no Halloween masks were allowed. So then it's the the school adaptation of does your costume have a mask and what can we do instead to modify your your mask that you wear every day to go with your Halloween costume. So it's all working out. We do country trick-or-treating. So that's where we all pile in a vehicle and just drive to people's houses that we know. So we only go to about 12, 14 houses probably total takes us forever, but it's a really good excuse to go and visit the neighbors and say hi. And for lots of them, our kids are the only ones that they get. So, you know, you might get a full size chocolate bar or, you know, special, special baggie of treats and often the parents get some too. So that's a bonus. What kind of trick or treat did your kids do? We're kind of on the opposite end of it. We've also talked about country trick or treating, but there aren't, this is the first year that there's really been any young kids anywhere in the neighborhood for several years. And so I doubt that anybody actually has any candy. We did have to, the first year I went to a couple of people's houses and they didn't have anything. Yeah. So, so now there's kind of an understanding that we're coming and they even check in and ask how many are coming. And we have had two neighbors pre-deliver because they said they weren't going to be home on Halloween, but they still wanted to drop stuff off. So that really makes things more efficient. Although maybe the, the surprise guilt angle will help. Yeah. You could um, pick a canned goods or 
Yeah. Baking. Yeah. You never know what you might get if you show up at their house in a costume. That's true. I know for the last several years, one of our neighbor kids is, he's now what, 12, I think. So he's maybe outgrown it. But for quite a few years, he got a, a high quality toy tractor implement because when your husband works at an implement dealer and you only get one trick or treater, you know, you can <laughs> right. 10 or 15 bucks and, you know, you get a full size candy bar and a tractor and everybody was happy. But I think maybe this year he's outgrown that. We're at the point where our kids would probably love to go trick-or-treating they'd probably take three hours to get them into their costumes and then they'd be overwhelmed and like throwing up and crying after you know 20 minutes of it and they're not quite old enough for the peer pressure to ruin their lives if they go to school on monday and they didn't go trick-or-treating but this is the last year that we're going to get away with that and yeah this is also the year that we're going to have to start really doing Christmas as a thing because the boy child who's three and a half came home the other day and he goes, when Kama coming? And I said, who? Kama. Oh, okay, kid. And he goes, you know, Kama, ho, ho, ho. Man, uh, shit. shouldn't have sent these kids to school. We should have homeschooled because at <laughs> learn all kinds school, of like you can containerize that a little more, I think, but once you start sending them out in public, all bets are off. So we're uh, starting Christmas shopping, which has been a little bit of a, a thing. I don't know how it is in Canada, but they're saying there's going to be a lot of supply chain issues this year. There already have been. That's what I hear. But that there's better to shop early. I'm feeling a lot of guilt about it because on the one hand, yay, local business, yay, small businesses. But on the other hand, the company that shall not be named just brought me a jar of curry mustard from Brooklyn. So, you know, none of my local businesses have done that recently. And yeah. they don't really want me shopping at 2 a.m. in my jammies. So, but we're starting on that and trying to think of some holiday traditions that, you know, I'm trying to, to look at the long game and not start a tradition now that's going to make me want to die in another three years. Absolutely. You know? Yeah, you have to, so, you have to think Elf it on the it's shelf, kinda... I'm looking at you. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of the way it is with the tooth fairy. Like you get started and then you realize, oh man, I've got multiple kids and they have so many teeth. There's like, a lot of teeth in there. They just keep falling out. They're, yeah. <laughs> they never, it never ends. They just keep teething. Well, that, that reminds me actually, the 10 year old came home yesterday and said he'd lost a tooth at school and I forgot all about it. Where do you come down on saving your kid's teeth? They go in the garbage. Okay. I, uh, it seems I, weird I to throw them away, but it seems weirder to keep them. I mean, I had got some of those, you know, the little like keepsake for their first, you know, first lock of hair or whatever. And the two, you know, I don't think I bought them, but I think people gave them to me. But it does seem strange to keep bits of your. Well, anyway, I had that another went another creepy question, but I don't remember what it was. <laughs> I'm clearly done. My nap was not long enough. So I get to introduce our guest today. And our guest is Maida Edwards. Maida and her husband, Jamie, are both from dairy farming families, but are the first generation on their farm property in eastern Ontario. Maida is also my sister. So if you have trouble telling our voices apart, this is probably why. Maida has agreed to talk to us today about eating disorders and more specifically living in recovery from her own eating disorder. If this topic is a sensitive issue for you and you'd prefer not to listen, we completely understand. Please take care of yourself. We'll catch up with you next episode. So Maida, I know for a fact you've already been listening to the podcast. You kind of have to, being my sister. So you know the first question. So what are you growing, Maida? 
Yes, I am loving this podcast. It's been a really great community to become a part of. And I'm just so thankful that you two are friends and that you're including so many of us. So I was really excited to answer this question, especially how it relates to today's topic. So first and foremost, I am growing myself. And yes, usually we list all of the little humans that we care for and the businesses that we're growing. But I've learned over the past several years that in order to grow kids, a family, a business, even crops. It's critical for us to take care of ourselves so that everything around us can grow too. My husband and I do have two awesome boys, Lane, who's 11, and Wade, who's nine, both of which they'd much rather be doing their growing on the farm instead of at school, especially this morning when they were heading out to the bus, the combine was getting tweaked and soybean harvest will be starting today. So they were counting down the hours till the bus came home. We purchased our farm in 2008 and have grown our milking herd of Holstein dairy cows from 35 to almost 90. In the middle of the pandemic, we were also in the middle of the biggest growth on our farm, which was building a new dairy facility for all of our cows to be under one roof. We've been working in our new barn now for over a year and it has been uh, life-changing. I call it our self-care barn for the animals living in it and the humans that work with them. And if you've ever been in it, you would know why. It's got a skylight, the sun comes in, and everyone's just happy, especially Jamie and I. We also crop close to a thousand acres of land, which includes grain, corn, corn silage, hay, soybeans, and rye, so that we can feed and bed up our livestock, as well as a bit of cash cropping. And I'm also in the early stages of figuring out some kind of platform to raise awareness about eating disorders and mental health with the use of inflatable T-Rex costumes, of course. So, you know, you ladies are going to help me figure that out today, I think. (laughs) Inflatables are a big part of Mitty's life, too. Yeah. Isn't this like the third time that the inflatable T-Rex costumes have come up on the show, Arlene? I think so. I feel like we talked about this last week, actually. (laughs) Yeah. So I have many inflatables too. I'll have to, I should have made an inventory list for you, but they bring me a lot of joy. I've realized on a lot of other people. So it's my new thing. So Maida, can you tell us more about your parlor setup? Because I know we have, you know, farmers like fanatically have to talk to other farmers who do what they do about the minutiae of things like what kind of parlor they have. And I know if I don't ask, my husband's going to listen and be like, well, what kind of parlor do they have? Exactly. One with cows in it. I don't know. (laughs) Well, we're really proud of our little parlor that we have. So we toured, originally our barn plan was to go with robots and then for various reasons, things changed. And then we started touring Western Ontario, looking at a bunch of swing parlors. So that's where there's milkers down the middle and they swing back and forth to each side. So we have a double 10 swing parlor. So 10 cows come in each side of the parlor, but we only have 10 milkers. So while you're milking one side, the 10 cows, then you are prepping the other 10 cows. And as those milkers come off, you just swing them over. So we used to milk in a tie stall, a very old one, and it was not fun. So this has been like really awesome for our bodies and the cows are happy. And now I can have the music playing and I dance around. It's great. (laughs) So Maida, for the, for the non-dairy farmers, because to, you know, we include a lot of different kinds of farmers and non-farmers, which is even better to help educate people. Tie stalls are where the cows are standing at the same level as you, correct? And the parlor is where they're up higher? That's right. So our barn is, our new barn also, maybe I'll just have to send your husband a video so he can do a virtual tour. We've been giving virtual tours too. <laughs> we could just put one online for everybody. Absolutely. I online. will do that. So our barn, like I said, everything is in one building. And so the milk cows are in a big 
like an indoor pasture. So that means that they can roam around wherever they want. It's basically a 24 hour buffet for their feed and their water. And then just at milking time in the morning and in the afternoon, they we corral them up to the parlor and we are kind of in a pit. So we stand, stand at leg level, I guess. So their udders are at my eyes. <laughs> and it's just a lot nicer for your backs. And I feel like too, especially me, like I'm getting stronger, but I'm not as strong as my husband, but I can really take care of the milking on my own too, which I really like. Yeah. My husband's not old, but our doctor has done many x-rays on his back and she's like, so your back is actually 70 years old and you're only 34. <laughs> so that's not good. So the parlor has helped a lot. Yeah. Okay. Well now we can get back to Arlene's like <laughs> actual in-depth questions now that we've really <laughs> covered that gotten a deep dive. I gotta make sure this is my opportunity to share all of my knowledge. <laughs> This is the um, only time yeah, it's the only time this is ever going to happen. So <laughs> I really got to make it count. Like, well, maybe um, we can circle back around to you eventually because my husband said, well, how long is this podcast going to keep going? And I said, I don't know until we run out of stuff to talk about. And he said, well, so what, like five episodes or like <laughs> 10? And I was like, dude, we're talking all of farming and then all of parenting. And then by then, it'll be like next year and we'll be able to start back at farming again. Like <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Totally. And so off. far, we're pretty much just talking to people that we know. So I mean, yeah. like that's still a fairly small pocket of the population. Oh, I know. I think at the end of your things, you're always like, oh, if you think of someone. So I've already been like kind of brainstorming of other people that I want to hear talk mm -hmm. or something too. So I tip of the iceberg. It's great too, because we can approach pretty much anyone we think is interesting because- yeah. <laughs> what they're going to say now like that's the worst ask. they can do is say now someone asked me a while ago like who would be your like your most famous ask like you know like if you got this person to interview who yeah I asked you when the other day because oh, yeah, Katie yeah. had hers right that was you so I was thinking like the uh, Peterson farm rows one of them just had a baby so it's like <gasps> there we go yes <laughs> they're, they're parents now <laughs> I was thinking, and then you know, my like, kids would think you're a celebrity because you'd be talking <laughs> to the Peterson Farm Bros. Like, exactly. oh. we should do it, Arlene. I saw that Jennifer Garner, the actress, actually took over her family farm in Oklahoma. Oh, really? Yeah. It was like, I wonder how hard it would be to get Jennifer Garner on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> she seems pretty cool. I feel like she'd do it. She seems fairly approachable. She seems to say yes to everything, even made a movie about it, right? So, yeah. So Mady, you've agreed to talk to us today about eating disorders. And so, like we said, one of the, your, your expertise in eating disorders comes through your own treatment and having an eating disorder, disorder yourself. When do you feel like your eating disorder started and what were some of the influencing factors that's, that brought that on? Yeah. So this is a question that I have been asked a lot. It's one that I've reflected on a lot over the past several years. Even still, I try and like find that, that moment in time, especially during my time as a patient at the Adult Eating Disorder Center in Kingston out of Hotel G Hospital. That was something when I first started going there, I had a very perfectionist mind. And with that, I was trying to find the date that my eating disorder started, find out who caused it, how it was caused, where I could place blame. Like I just had to pinpoint something. And I really felt like if I could pinpoint it, then I could start getting help, then I could recover all of that. But here's the thing, there isn't always a precise moment. There isn't always going to be a concrete answer to when and how an addiction begins. And I do 
feel like an eating disorder, I believe is an addiction. And I should have said my disclaimer before, but this is also what my eating disorder was. And you could be in a room with 20 people that had an eating disorder, all with the same diagnosis. And it is different for every single person. So I just want everyone to keep that in mind when I'm talking today about it. What worked for me might work for someone else or it might not. So going back to, you know, you're looking for that precise moment. There isn't always one. And yet there absolutely can be a defining moment when some form of trauma happens and that leads you to rely on an addiction to numb that pain. For me, I think that anxiety and depression were probably the main reasons why my eating disorder began. And I also like to say that an eating disorder, although eating is in the title of it, I find it's the furthest thing from food is actually the issue. It has a lot to do with anxiety. It has a lot to do with our feelings, our worries. And sorry, I'm just gonna, I had to breathe for a second. (laughs) I didn't think I would get emotional today. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. Yeah, I just, I realize now that as a young child, a preteen, that I had a lot of worries. I had a lot of big feelings. I will digress a bit because I also now have two amazing boys that also have really big feelings and really big worries. But what I see now is how I can help them. When I was a child or a teenager, you know, our parents didn't have that in their vocabulary. Anxiety and depression were not something that were in media. Like, they just weren't even talked about to the extent that at 32 years old, when I received my diagnosis of anxiety, I was like, what? No, that's just me. Like, that's just how I made. I don't know what you're talking about. So in a, in a short amount of time, a lot of things have changed. And that's where I think people, when we talk about stigma with mental health, that's what we're talking about is that a lot of people have lived with these symptoms or these diagnoses and had no idea that that could be changed or challenged. When I was in high school, I was really involved in sports, extracurriculars, social, got good grades. And I think that with all of that awesome stuff happening, I was also feeling like like I had no control over my mind and body, insert anxiety, right? Again, didn't know that that's what that was. At 16, my hormones and body were changing. There's so much growth going on inside of us that we don't even know is happening. So I do think that my eating disorder behaviors definitely started around that time. 16 is sort of the age where I can kind of reflect that I was starting some eating disorder behaviors and, you know, they kind of carried through university and my early adulthood. Maida, what changed for you in your eating disorder during pregnancy? Because that's, I mean, it's another huge time of physical change. Absolutely. So during the time I was pregnant with both boys, I wasn't diagnosed with an eating disorder yet. Again, I never even thought that I had one. It wasn't something that I, that I associated with myself. I had been diagnosed with depression in university and had been on medication since then, you know, did dabbled in counseling and therapy along the way, but that was it. So when I think back now to being pregnant, I realized the part I enjoyed most about pregnancy was the freedom that I had with my eating at the time. Did I realize that? Absolutely not. Now I can see that that was happening. I didn't have to restrict anymore. I got to have a break from all those rules that had accumulated over the years and built up in my head. I had this little human inside me that I had to care for and feed properly. The major difficulty came afterwards. I had two textbook pregnancies, but not textbook deliveries or recoveries. So that really did not help my postpartum or my anxiety, depression, all of that really skyrocketed, especially after I had our youngest Wade. felt really out of control with my emotions, my body. I just, it was a very out of body experience. And at that time too, Jamie and I really, we had wanted to have lots of children, like four was how many we were going to have. 
And then all of a sudden, after Wade was about a year and a bit, I'm like, I don't know if I can do that. Like, I can't even take care of my own body. How can I take care of another child? Like, so that was a really hard thing that we worked through together. But that was sad, right? You're grieving that what you expected in your life and what is going to actually work for your life. So when we, yeah, so we, it was a, a year, year and a half when I was starting to realize that my emotions and my body, like everything was very life in general was too much for me. And then the eating disorder just hopped right back in. And I refer to my eating disorder as a he, it's, it's not a, it's not a person, but if you have an addiction of any kind or know someone that does, even if it's depression too, I just, it's always like this little person sitting on my shoulder. And in clinic, we did talk about often an eating disorder gets a person because it essentially, it is like this other human living in your body, making up the rules for you. And that is really hard to explain to anyone that doesn't deal with any of those things. So that was pregnancy for me in a nutshell, I guess it did provide a lot of freedom. And then I realized after, oh, that freedom's gone. And now what? When did you actually decide to enter into treatment and were there other times that you thought about it or, or were looking for help, but didn't take the steps or didn't recognize it in a way that, that made sense? So I'll, I'll probably jump around a little bit. I will say one of the main reasons I went into treatment was because I had a husband that really loved me and told on me, you know, like he tattletailed and that was okay. I thank him for that all the time. At the time I was working at my dream job in a school. I was the financial assistant taking care of five different schools, books and money and everything really loved it. But one of the schools I worked at, our nurse practitioner was actually the, the student nurse that would come in once a week. So I had not been doing well for quite a while, um, but I was really trying to figure out what, what was wrong with me. So I would go and see my nurse practitioner, like, I need a test for this. I need a blood test. I need a scan because there's something, there's something physically wrong with me and I need a pill and I need you to fix it. Or I need something like there's gotta be treatment for this. So things really started to deteriorate. I had such a need to find out what was wrong and something that could cure all these symptoms. And when I say symptoms, this is the first time I've actually kind of described this, but symptoms were fatigue, forgetfulness, loss of desire, loss of joy, energy, insomnia. Like that was something like I was functioning. Was I functioning? Not really, but I was working full time, had two young kids working on the farm, being a wife, a lot of hat, but I was really only sleeping one to two hours a night. That doesn't, that can't last forever. Right. And But again, I was like, you know, you go onto Google, it's like, oh, I must have this. I must have something. So never did I think if I ate something that might help. I should actually go back, I guess, at some point that I was diagnosed with anorexia restricting, just so that can give you some context of my habits, I guess. So that being said, so yes, Jamie told me, but I really wanted someone to, at that time going through everything, I just wanted someone to hug me and climb into my brain and take all of the exhaustion and overthinking and negative self-talk, restricting decision-making and pain away, because that truthfully is what an eating disorder is and what mental health can be for a lot of people. There is so much going on inside of you. And I just thought someone must be able to see that that's going on internally. Like someone should be able to just go into my brain and figure that out. Just wanted someone to acknowledge that my brain and body were so tired. And that that person, whoever that magical unicorn was going to be, I wanted them to be the person to fix me too. So the critical piece of my journey for recovery began 
So I left work that day, thought I would just take a week off, get some rest. That one week off turned into short-term disability from work, which then turned into long-term disability work, which is very difficult to apply for and get approved for and also do recovery at the same time, I will add. Insurance isn't always empathetic to your struggles. (laughs) And that's not fault on them. It's just how it feels when you're going through it. So one of my early on appointments was just a one-off session with a counselor at Leeds and Grenville Mental Health. And within 30 minutes of the session, this counselor looked at me and asked me when we were going to just to discuss my eating disorder. And I was so angry with this man. I couldn't believe a complete stranger would say something like that to me. How dare he put a label on me? I, like I was just in disbelief. I drove home that day, pulled over. I was crying. I was in shock. And then I suppose a bit of relief started to come out of that too. I got home that day, went to the office and I researched eating disorder definitions. And I sat there and couldn't believe that I had answered yes to every question. I was dumbfounded because I had never, it hadn't crossed my mind. I had a very outdated and untrue definition of what an eating disorder was. And that could very well be because of what people knew in the medical or in the education stream at that time, right? My, my vision or my conception was that it's someone that's just very, very thin and look like they're a skeleton, like that's it. And, and I think that is still what a lot of people think, right? And if you research anything or read anything, it doesn't actually have anything to do with your body size. Most of it is what's going on in your head and the rules that have now taken over your life to function. So that day, I, Jamie was actually in the family room. So I went out and I sat down and I told him that I needed help and that I, what I had just read. So he sat with me and I called Jill, who's our nurse practitioner. And I mean, obviously there are a lot of moving parts at that point, but from that day on, then she started the process of doing a requisition to be an outpatient at the program in Kingston for anyone 18 and older, which again, I didn't even knew existed. Obviously there's a lot of really hard work and a lot of setbacks and heartbreak and, and heartache and tears and exhaustion between all of that. But I can honestly say now that I do find it rewarding to look at the word recovery and acknowledge that I have recovered in so many ways, you know, from that day. And it's interesting that I, it's not interesting that I'm emotional right now, but I I do find it interesting at times because it comes in waves, right? Where I think, oh, I haven't really done that much. Like, but I'm sure Arlene could speak to that too. And many of my close family and friends that yes, there's been a physical change, but also like that mindset change, you know, and the, the energy that has come along with it. And I think as someone who was very close to you and always has been, I, you must have put a lot of energy into hiding it. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Because, I had some because, friends that were very mad about that. <laughs> and that would have taken a lot of work to hide it. And, and I mean, yeah. you've put tons of work into recovery, but there was also a lot, a lot of work and struggle in making sure that we didn't see it, that your husband didn't see it, that your, yeah. you know, your friends didn't see it for so long and that you didn't see it, that you're yeah. hiding it from yourself. Exactly. Yeah. And that's a very hard realization. And that can really set you back when you're, when you're trying to get the help or, or even think about recovery, because it has, it was part of me from the day I was diagnosed was probably part of me for over 16 years. Like that's 
that's a life that's a that's a whole human you know you guys are we're raising kids and like that's a lot of a lot of years to put into it and a lot of time spent on it right and then that eating disorder is like listen we've worked together a long time we should probably just stay close and you can recover in one part but you can't actually get rid of me so yeah and those conversations yeah and those conversations literally happen in your brain with depression too with anxiety like there are voices that's when we talk about voices in our head that is that's what's happening doesn't mean that we're like I mean sometimes you could be disillusioned or something but like truthfully there are other things there are conversations going on in your head so Maida what does living in recovery actually look like for you and what resources do you still depend on now I mean I know you went through a full well, how long was your your outpatient treatment? I was in Kingston for two years as a patient there. Mm-hmm. So that was three to four times a week. Well, also, you know, I wasn't working full time. Obviously, I'd taken that off, but I was still working on the farm and I was still a mom to two kids and a wife and a friend and a family member. And if any of you that have been in any form of treatment or any form of counseling, you know how exhausting it can be. Even a great session, even a happy, fun, like, oh, I'm going to do these really cool goals. It's tiring. So, you know, I'm driving an hour each way and yeah, it was a lot. (laughs) You don't even need to have a, an official diagnosis to have an eating disorder. And I think for a lot of us, if you were to read about more of it, you'd realize some of the patterns that are now created in our brain that aren't so healthy with food and eating. And I've really reflected because I was first diagnosed, like I said, at 32 and came to the realization at that time that I'd waited almost two decades to receive help, admit that I had a problem or believe that I was sick enough. That was really hard for me to wrap my head around. And then add on to that, I had a lot of misconceptions about eating disorders. I didn't think that as an adult, I could have an eating disorder. I didn't think that my mental and physical state at that time had a direct link with an eating disorder. I didn't think that if I was doing treatment that I'd ever change or that life could be different for me. I didn't think I had the strength or the time or the desire to put towards myself and my healing. And I believed that my thoughts and my actions and my behaviors were just that they were mine and that it was my internal makeup, it's how I was, my DNA, and it's just the way I was and always would be. So when the word recovery started being used in sessions, my thoughts were, well, recovery looked like so daunting, so impractical and unachievable, not going to happen. Thanks. Thanks for coming. Like, thanks for, you know, telling me all these things I might be able to enjoy, but it's not going to be for me. It really felt like a facade. And I asked Arlene if I could swear on the show, which I know I can, and it's not even a really bad swear, but recovery sounded like bullshit to me. It might work for others, but not for me. So I use the example. Are you familiar, Kate, with the, the easy button? with staples, you know, those commercials. Yeah. So I still don't own one to this day, which I really need to buy one if you still can. And I just want to put bullshit on top because during sessions with my counselors and therapists, you know, they'd, we'd be doing an activity. So an an example, one that still gives me a bit of anxiety was a map we had to look at and you had to figure out how to get to a location only going left, left turns. I was like, well, this is bullshit. How is this going to help me get in recovery? Like I'm just like, it was very whiny spoiled probably sounded and there were a lot of us in these group sessions that felt the same way and I do remember that counselor at the time saying like what makes you so special what makes your eating disorder so special that you can't just dabble in this recovery idea and I was like well 
I don't know. It's just, it's all bullshit. Like I just, I'm not doing it. I don't see how these like games can work, how, how it's changing anything. So again, if you know a little bit about mind traps and poor mind thinking, that's some really black and white fortune telling perfectionist ways of thinking. And even saying it out loud, my brain's fighting back with all the ways I should be rephrasing those thoughts now. So that makes me like, oh yeah, I guess I have done some work there. And that's my reminder on a daily basis that recovery is, and I'm proud to say worthwhile because when we talk about the toolkits that we give our kids or ourselves for dealing with anxiety or our big feelings or an addiction, if that's what you're dealing with, those are the tools that you use, right? It is rephrasing your thoughts. And yes, a lot of times my brain still says it's BS that changing my thoughts isn't going to change anything, but you have to practice. You have to just keep working. It's just like, if you're going to learn how to play a sport, you have to keep practicing. It's the same with our mind health. And I, I like to actually say mind health more than mental health. Cause it just makes me feel better. <laughs> anyway, recovery is really, really damn hard. There's no sugarcoating it, but when I was looking back through a bunch of my, I still have my binders. I did some of the reason I, I did the program for two years is because you do different forms of therapy. So you do cognitive behavior therapy, CBT, acceptance commitment therapy, which is ACT. We did meditation groups. We did lunch groups together. There's just so many. What I didn't realize is all the forms of therapy that can help. So I have all these binders. And I did a few of the sessions multiple times because although I had improved, once I'd work with my team, it was like, okay, I think we need to, you know, work on these skills a little bit more, these ways of thinking a little bit more. And so that's tiring because then you have to do it all over again. <laughs> like, you're like, I just did this already. So yeah, so when I was going through all of my old notebooks and binders and food, I even have like food journals because we had to keep record of that and thoughts that would go with it, mind maps, everything. I really had to take a step back and acknowledge how my definition of recovery has changed over the years. And how it changes on a weekly and a monthly basis, even while I was in treatment and even now, right? Like what worked four years ago doesn't work now or what worked four years ago is still like a critical piece of my recovery. And when you see quotes or pictures showing that recovery is different for everyone, it isn't linear, has all these ups and downs. It's true, right? Like if you've been through that, anything, you don't even have to have an addiction to have gone through that. That's just life in general. But when you add on to already life being pretty tricky to navigate and add on some other issues, that makes it really hard to function. So you do need that toolkit and you do need the help of professionals and friends and family and other, other support ne networks. And while I didn't believe it at first, I do now. And I try to embrace the changes that have come along with recovery. And I just would like to share how I define recovery now. And maybe in a year from now, when you have me, it'll be a similar list or completely different. So I, I do say now that recovery is still really hard work, but I'm worthy of the work. And that is a total mind change, right? I benefit from recovery, my mind, my body, my soul, the ones that I love and surround myself with also benefit from recovery from my recovery. It's not just all about me. I feel empowered by recovery and sharing with others. I really felt and still do at times, depending. I felt so alone and I want others to know that their feelings are real, but the change is an option for them. And I think that's so critical because I mean, obviously social media has a big part and just media in general, or just the mindset of a lot of people. It's like, oh, I'm hashtag blessed. I'm hashtag thankful. I am all of those things. 
but some of my days are not feeling very hashtag anything. They are hashtag hard and they are just, sometimes you just have to get through and to have someone, like even think of our kids when they're having like their big feelings, if you're like, oh, someone else could have it worse. It's also like saying when they come back with a joyful, happy story, you're like, oh, you can't be happy because someone's happier than you. We do that. Like we, we, we say that we, yeah, yeah. Bullshit. bullshit. Arlene just used the bullshit button. <laughs> bullshit button. Everyone needs them. But isn't it interesting how we are so quick, our, our human nature, I don't know what it is, are so quick to say we have to be thankful. People have it worse. And that's, I mean, that for me was one reason why I didn't want to go get help. People have it worse. Absolutely. But my family and myself was suffering. And if I don't get better nothing gets better either. Right. So I think we really need to take that shift of also thinking like we celebrate, it's okay to celebrate the really bad days too, because when you celebrate them and acknowledge them and validate them, then we can move forward. Right. Or figure out ways to become resilient as we learned a lot about on your last podcast. And I think the biggest thing too, for me is that recovery means ensuring balance in all forms of my life. Balance is like my new I'm hashtag balanced, not always, but it sure helps. So I need to be balanced in all forms of my life. And that includes medication because my body does not make enough serotonin. And yes, there are times where I'm like, oh, I don't need it because I'm feeling great. That's why the medication's working. And guess what? If you go off it, you have a big old crash. And then when you go back on it, you also have a crash. So I just have to treat it like it's a vitamin and it's just something that I need. So my serotonin comes out of a bottle and sunshine. My balance also needs to be in rest and play and food and creativity and work, decision-making movement. And when I am feeling like something is off, my energy is low, I'm feeling anxious, then I have to really pause and take the time to go through what I'm doing and what is or isn't balanced and then readjust. And that is what I've realized is what treatment is about is teaching and counseling and therapy is about is teaching you to recognize the imbalance that's happening and what you need to fix it. So a tangible example is at first in when I was starting treatment, obviously things get worse before they get better. So I could sleep. I ate a bit and I did puzzles. I did puzzles all day long, all night long. I just did puzzles all the time. But if all you do in puzzles, if all you're doing is puzzles, and that's not a very balanced life either, but that was something that kept my mind occupied and my hands occupied. And now I, I like doing puzzles sometimes, but I also like coloring and doing other creative things, making fun playlists, like just finding joy in other things. And that is what treatment has taught me is to find those things and recognize that they're a really important piece to a balanced life. So for any of you that are listening or have been through your own journey of recovery in whatever you're dealing with. I just, I think it's important to acknowledge that each little step, like a little tiptoe is a building block uh, to do the next right thing or making a small change. Because even though we have these huge ideas of where we want to be, we can't get there in one little step. You have to take so many and eventually you'll look back and be like, oh, that's become second nature to me now. doesn't feel like it at the time, but I know that taking the time and putting the work in really does make a difference. And also it's really important to just give yourself permission to be kind and patient with yourself because those two things are a necessity in any, just having grace for yourself, right? I work on a farm. Well, I can't, I can't keep the energy level of harvest time, meta energy 
all through the year. That's not attainable. And so on Sundays when, yeah, or a Saturday or whatever day, if I need a nap, that's my body saying, I need to lie down so that I can do the next best thing for the farm, for me, for life, whatever. And acknowledging in our society too, that rest is actually critical. Some people can live off less, some live off more, but we're all different and you just need to be, need to validate people's rest needs. I think that's an important one. There you go. That's my answer. <laughs> to me to talking about having to, to justify if your hard thing is actually hard. Mm -hmm. You don't owe anyone an explanation of how you rank which things are harder in your life. That's right. And you don't owe anyone justification of why this thing was hard. You know, mm -hmm. I'm doing a lot of therapy myself for the same, that same sort of ranking and giving myself space and now mm -hmm. realizing that you don't, there's no like hard thing police coming to, no. <laughs> you know, I mean, if you're going to say like, well, I have a hangnail and it's just as bad as people who are starving to death. Now you're full of shit. Right. But Bullshit. <laughs> sort of anything above that, you don't owe it to anybody to prove why you're, you are worthy of having care and of having recovery because you exist. And mm -hmm. it's, that's enough. That is enough reason to get the time and the resources to work on your hard shit because you're a mother and a wife and whatever else. Like, cool. Absolutely. It's that much more motivation, but you being a self is enough to mm -hmm. do that. And giving yourself permission, I think, especially as farmers is just that much more because there's just that much piled on top of shit we have to take care of. And a lot of shit that you can't control, right? Yeah. So let's just <laughs> try and figure that out. Yeah. I don't know how many, you know, how so many perfectionist control freaks became farmers because <laughs> I don't know that we're super well suited to that aspect of things. So uh, true. But also how negative the the self-importance of being a type A control freak really is. Mm -hmm. You know, in our our last our episode with Jane and you know, I don't you know, I said something about, well, I'm special. I should be able to do more than everybody else. It's not a good kind of special. It's not a self-worth kind of special. Well, you don't really get an award for it. I actually keep a little a dollar store trophy. It says number one on it. So if you want the trophy, I'll give it to you. I'll even make you a certificate. Like, there you go. You win. There's <laughs> like, but what? <laughs> so much, especially in parenting of, you know, well, if you don't give birth this way, if you don't feed your baby this way, if you don't do X, Y, and Z, you're not a good parent. Like nobody's given me a trophy for a damn thing yet. So mm -mm. And I just I'm make just my like, own now. In yeah. farming, it gets to be the same way too, right? Yes. Where if you're not doing this, if you don't have this amount of animals, if you don't have this amount of acres, if you don't have this type of equipment, all of us, we're, mm -hmm. we're, we're all gatekeepers people, not us, <laughs> but there are those gatekeepers who are like, you're not a real farmer if, or yeah. you're not a good enough farmer if, and it's like, there does, there isn't one way. And that's, no. the, that's the amazing and beautiful thing about farming and parenting is that mm -hmm. there isn't one way to do it. And it depends on so many factors. It depends on the kid, the parenting depends on the kids you have and the way you were raised and all those factors. And the farming depends on the same kinds of stuff, right? Like, the geography you're in, the history you have, the knowledge you have, like there's so many factors and there's, I mean, there's some prizes, but they're pretty, pretty specific. <laughs> and they're all. Yeah. 
well we all have a we all have a point system right like I during treatment really had this visual of like you have 100 points in a day and for some farmers you might use 60 of those by 9 a.m in the morning so that's a lot of points or a lot of day left still with not much points left of your day. And that goes, so then you can have a hundred points in like the parenting department, the self department, the rest department, like you, that's why balance is so critical because, and you have to be kind to yourself that today is a day where I need to take a step back or today is a day that my husband and I, yep, there's a lot of stuff to do. And we're going out for lunch because why not? <laughs> right? Like, and if someone has a problem with that, I will give them an award. I'll just give it to them. <laughs> yeah, you win. For myself, you know, too, as being a chronic illness person, and if you've heard about the spoon theory that everybody starts the day with a certain number of spoons and it takes this many spoons to shower and this many spoons to eat, and you've only got however many spoons, and that number isn't the same every day. And I feel like for myself, you know, starting out, I mean, I'm a pretty self-determined can-do person, and I've... I'm now raising some pretty self-determined candy children. God love them. You know, when we started trying for a baby, I assumed I wanted a baby. I would get a baby. I mean, it's pretty, you know, we all took sex ed in school, presumably. I know how babies are made. And then we did four years of fertility treatments. And so when I did finally get pregnant, it felt like I used up my quota of not doing it right. And then I got gestational diabetes and then, you know, this, that, and the other damn thing. And then, you know, I'd, I'd read all the natural childbirth books and I'd read all the breastfeeding books and I'd read every damn thing I could come up with because I was going to do this the right way. And, and then I realized that, then I realized that the addition of some strong anti-anxiety meds would be a really good idea. And then I realized that nobody had given me an award for any of the trying to do it right. And nobody had come and said, well, we were going to give you an award, but then you screwed up. So we're taking it back. And my baby was happy and healthy and is still a complete freaking maniac. With the second one knowing I was going to have a scheduled C-section from the start because they're 16 months apart and they use that word uterine rupture again. I was like, nope, you just <laughs> do what you got to do. And the experience of having a pregnancy and a birth and an infant where I could just let go of all of that and just get my own little trophy. I might have to go to our dollar store, see if they have a trophy too. <laughs> and just put it all in the fuck it bucket and move on to worrying about stuff that's actually worth worrying about like Arlene's puppy or, <laughs> you know, made his new swing parlor. His. And you get a really big, big ass trophy for resiliency yeah. of what you just, just talked about. Like, why aren't we celebrating that? Right. I think that is shifting, but like, holy, that's where I, the, that's where the celebrating and awards have to come from. I feel like I get my trophy every time somebody says, you gave me permission to do this we didn't talk about infertility. We didn't talk about yeah. postpartum depression, whatever this getting to do this show is my trophy. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Just, I'm also very lucky to be married to a man who is apparently not easily embarrassed or has already given up and <laughs> just really doesn't care if I air my dirty laundry so publicly that we'll I will send him like, a trophy too. Mm -hmm. you know, publish it globally <laughs> to really put it out there enough. <laughs> yeah, I'll be waiting for my trophy, Arlene. <laughs> okay, you send me your address. address. 
okay. <laughs> it's going to be our new Patreon swag at a certain level. We'll send you a trophy. <laughs> Everyone gets a trophy. Yeah. You get a trophy. You get a trophy. You know, it's like being Oprah handing out the gifts. <laughs> exactly. So I'm going to go ahead and I don't know whose question this is, but I'm going to read it. Maida, what parts of parenting have been challenging dealing with food and feeding your family and yourself? Because I think this is one place that eating disorders can be a lot trickier than other addictions because you can there's no abstinence gambling you can quit drinking (laughs) you already tried to quit food and that didn't Mm -hmm. work no it didn't yeah I'm glad you brought that up because sometimes I I feel really awkward saying that but yeah like you can abstain from a lot of other addictions and food's necessity. So that is absolutely still a struggle in my life. And I'm actually really wanted to start this answer with some comic relief because, well, it's two-parted, but did you know that when you became a parent, you became a full-time cook too? Because I truthfully didn't know that about parenting, like absolutely didn't. It wasn't in the contract I signed when I got pregnant or when I brought the baby home and I never wanted to be a chef growing up. And those that are close to me know how much I curse food and all the things that are related to it. And yet I can still create beautiful and very tasty meals, but I curse the following grocery lists, grocery shopping, meal planning, then the actual work of making the meal, cleaning up the meals on and on over and over every dang day. And did you know that grocery shopping also means we handle food five times before it ever makes it to the table? That blows my mind. I'll break it down. You put it into the cart, shopping cart, right? Unpack the cart on the cashier conveyor, Then you put the bags back in your cart. Then you put the food in your vehicle. Then you unpack the vehicle. And then when you get home, oh, actually, I'm wrong. That's six. Then you got to put all the food away. Six times. Just thinking about it. Right? (laughs) And so when my kids now come come with me, they're like, now I know why you're so tired. So then, and I'm going to say I'm special for a minute, but having an eating disorder, when you add that up, it, it is really hard. And I... And some people like to word, use the word just, well, just do this, just do that. I'd love to. And sometimes I just do, but sometimes I can't just do it. So I would really like my kids to be like when I feed calves every day. So if you have a farm or if you don't, just imagine this every day, twice a day, you feed the calves the exact same meal. They get their milk, their grain, their hay, same thing. And not once do they whine. They get so excited. They lick you. They love you. The only time they whine is when they don't get their milk. But like, wouldn't that be magical? If you could just like put the same thing for every meal. Oh, that part I don't enjoy very much. But I will say that during COVID, our boys are at the age where we could start implementing the 4-H motto of learning to do by doing, especially in the kitchen. And they do help a lot now in the kitchen with cleanup and giving ideas or criticism, you know, whatever they feel like. And our youngest has taken an interest into learning how to cook and bake, but the hang up is that we can't really live off chocolate chip cookies and fresh milk every day either. So, you know, again, the balancing I'd like to to try. I mean, we could, we might as well. Same thing every day. Science, (laughs) ma'am. Absolutely. But in all honesty, feeding my family is, is a daily challenge for me. And I would be lying if I said it didn't scare me in regards to my, my recovery going forward. The good thing with having small mouths to feed is it does keep me accountable in my own eating habits. And with the work I do on a daily basis, I do need to fuel my body. So I have to, I have to treat food as a business transaction. You know, sometimes we have people we have to treat like a business transaction. I have to treat food because food almost to me is like a, another human that I don't get along with very well. And so if I'm going to function 
mind and body, then I need fuel to do so. Just like I use that for the kids too, right? If the tractor runs out of gas, what do you do? So if your body runs out of protein, like an energy stuff, then you're going to crash too. It does come back to balance again. My fears about the future is that what will happen when it's just Janie and I again, sort of like when I didn't, when we had decided we weren't going to have another baby, that, that was a fear. I was like, oh, I, I can't eat like I did when I was pregnant. So it's that same thing of like, you know, I really hoping that my kids go off to school and move out. And then it's going to be just Jamie and I, am I going to go back to those old habits? And then my therapy trained brain says, stop it, Maida, you're fortune telling, you know, you're using all these mind traps. You don't know what the future is going to hold. So I just have to be a bit more present in not necessarily in the moment, but just present in like, well, like on my to-do list or my ta-da list, because it feels way better to say ta-da. Okay. Let's add that in there. When you scratch off, like make lunch, because you know, you're going to make lunch and then you scratch it off that, that helps me. That helps me go. Okay. I did it. I also sometimes don't want the kids help. And I put Netflix on. So Netflix or whatever, I just have always make sure that I have something that I can watch or music because then it takes away the thoughts that take over my head while creating the meal or whatever I have to do. So it helps shut down the, the negative stuff. So made all say, I actually was a professional cook. Really? And it didn't help you? (laughs) I went to cooking school. Okay. I cooked professionally for half my life. It is still boring as shit. Okay. Well, that helps me. For my children. (laughs) Right. It's like, for me, a really good Sunday afternoon would be spending all day cooking, baking, alone, podcast, you know, just... (laughs) making something fancy, maybe going to the farmer's market, going to a fancy store. My kid wants nuggets. He Uh just, and plain black beans. That boy child, he loves his (laughs) beans. He just, any kind of beans. Daddy doesn't like beans. The boy child loves beans. The boy (laughs) child only wants chicken. And I, you know, I finally told my husband because, and I understand why he thinks this. He says, well, you love to cook and now you get to cook. I'm like, well, yeah, but with, two little kids and a dog and four and a half cats because that's our house Mm -hmm. and a small kitchen. And to get to our bathroom, we only have one bathroom. You have to go through the kitchen and you know, the kids and I've got 20 minutes and I don't have any clean dishes and I don't have any ingredients and they only want nuggets anyway. And and you're going to go to all that effort to make something that no one's going to appreciate. Yeah. And then I'm going to put it on the table and the girl child's going to look at me and go, I want a bagel. I could have just given you a fucking bagel, kid. I mean, yeah. And there's definitely days I don't bother and I just make her a bagel because exactly. She's got time for that. But it's so much easier when they're little because, I mean, at least if your kid is a good eater, like both of mine, which is an incredible blessing, you put milk in their mouth and they drink it and then you're done. Or, you know, they get onto pouches and cereal and shit and either they eat it or they don't, but at least they're not going, but I wanted nuggets. Exactly. They didn't have a voice. (laughs) Like, kid, we live 20 miles from town. I am not driving to town to buy you nuggets. I mean, I totally have, but I'm not going to admit that. So we're kind of getting getting to the question that I I had for you, Maida, which is how that how we can model for our kids, you know, healthy body image, the way we talk about food, the way we talk about our bodies. Like, what have you learned, you know, through your through your treatment and through your own experiences about how, how you want to talk to your kids and how we should be talking to our kids about those things. 
Yeah, so I one thing I've learned is that not every moment needs to be a teachable moment. And why <laughs> I say that is because there are some people in our lives that are, it's not worth having the discussion of like, we should say this instead of this, right? Just best. And I've had my counselor, I'm like, but I need everyone to talk about food this way. And she's like, okay, but that's not going to happen. <laughs> so, but what I really like about this question it's kind of becoming my new favorite thing to talk about and something I don't think there is a lot of stuff out there. So for any of you that have done therapy or counseling of any kind or read a self-help book, listened to a podcast, you've probably learned about and practice what we call script. Those scripts are a great tool to implement boundaries or just, you know, having the same answer instead of saying no, you have a, you know, five different scripts that you can say it differently. So what I think is really important for all of us to keep in mind in how we talk about food and its purpose is to use scripts. So this takes a lot of practice and I'm continually coming up with scripts depending on the situation, depending on the event. I even have some written down outside of cupboards, inside of cupboards so that I can verbally say it out loud. And in saying all that, I'll give examples because it's great to say all of those things, but you need examples. So for example, Halloween is coming up in a few weeks and Halloween was actually my biggest trigger of a holiday and that I really looked forward to Halloween because I could buy all the candy, all the chocolates. And that is what I lived off of for those months. I used to be really proud of that. That's when I think of it now, that's not something to be proud of that I would restrict so much to feel like then I could enjoy those things. Fast forward to now, I recently purchased a bag of the mixed, it's new this year, mixed Reese's Pieces products bag, like 120 of them, all of my favorite chocolates in this bag. Amazing. So when we buy these awesome and tasty little snack size bite treats, we need to enjoy them and that's okay. They're meant to be enjoyed. And when we eat 10 of them or more after Halloween uh, for breakfast the next day, we can say, oh my goodness. I love these flavors and I love this time of year. Halloween's the best. Bam, end of sentence, okay? That's all you say. Instead of what we usually say is, oh, as we're like stuffing and eating them and loving them, we're saying, oh, I really shouldn't have had these for breakfast. It's so bad for me. It's so bad for my body. I'm gonna have to work out harder today. I'm gonna have to eat salads to make up for this. That's horrible. That's horrible to ourselves. It's horrible for our kids to hear our husbands, our spouses, whatever, like, and that's no fault of anyone's. It's just, I think how we've all been programmed, right? Even commercials can piss me off now when I see them talking about all the different things to lose weight and lose this. And yes, for some of us, you have to, right? Everyone has to be balanced. We're all made differently, but how we talk about food and how we talk about our bodies or ourselves is really a script and a conversation that I think really needs to start changing. And I realize that now with having two boys and having nieces and nephews and friends with their kids are always around, right? If you have a farm, it's like open door policy here. We just have people all the time. Most events, even if it's harvest, revolve around food at the end, right? That's what we do. So as adults, we need to say this, these things to ourselves, or we need to hear it. And we need to start believing it. We don't need our children or teenagers or young adults to be thinking this stuff. So holidays can be really triggering to many people because they, like I said, always revolve around food and they can be really triggering whether you have an eating disorder or not. But the scripts I try and use or try to vocalize with my close family and friends and Arlene and my other sister, Janine, know too, like when things first started, I just would say like, if I, if I say this, can you just make sure we change the topic? 
fic, right? Like that's that even in itself is a script that I had with two people I trusted. So I challenge you like when you're going into fall with Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and probably a lot of birthdays along the way to just try changing how we comment on ourselves, not even our, our body, just ourselves and our food. So after that delicious Thanksgiving meal, try saying, wow, I love Thanksgiving supper so much. The flavors are amazing. Mashed potatoes and gravy are my favorite. Bam, mic drop, you're done. That is the end of the sentence. And you can probably write down or think of 10 things you love about Thanksgiving right now. Yes, you're super full. Yes, our clothes feel tighter and those things are okay. That's actually normal. That's supposed to happen. But they also are things that don't need to be mentioned because again, it just comes down to balance. If we eat a Thanksgiving meal, every meal, every day, not balanced. If we eat bananas and apples, also healthy. But if that's all you eat every day for every meal, not balanced, right? So that's why when we're celebrating our kids' birthdays, have the two damn cupcakes and be like, I love cupcakes. Done. Because every time our kids, it will just keep happening, right? Every time we say, I love cupcakes, but I shouldn't have had it, but I shouldn't, but I'm going to have to do this. That creates poor habits or, or like association with food, right? Like it's, it sounds so simple and sounds like it's not damaging, but I've realized it's like, it's hard to hear that thing because then I question, oh, should I be thinking that way? Because now I don't think that way. And I shouldn't have to think that way. Recently, I've been doing a strength training program. A girlfriend of mine started a little Facebook group and we're doing it's strength training. And this coach is so awesome because she, it's all about becoming strong. It's about making time for yourself and being proud of showing up. There is no talk. I haven't done workout videos before because there's always talk about like, do this because you're going to burn. It's about calories and weight loss and all that stuff. And I, why can't we just talk about a workout or something like that to be stronger or healthier or, or your version of health. So sometimes I do it on my own when the boys are at school and other times like this morning, I did it at home. And afterwards I was like running around the family room, giving them high fives. I'm like, I did it. I'm proud of myself. Yay me. I was giving myself my own damn award because I deserve it. And they need to see that. And now they'll even come home and be like, Oh, did you do your workout today, mom? How did it go? And although they say they don't want to like participate, they're usually close by picking up a weight, trying something. So that to me is modeling that um, many things that I need to be strong to function. And I even tell them, I vocalize that to them. I do this because my head feels a lot better. I'm so I can make decisions better and I have more energy and I'm making time for myself. I don't win an award if I do everything for my kids or my husband. Like I, I'm not actually providing them a better balanced life. So yeah, making time for myself, my recovery has involved accepting my body for the function. That's another great word, the function it provides and the ways in which it can do things. And that's both your mind and your body function. They're just so intertwined. Every stage of a kid's life, there's no way to, like, you know, as a parent, even if, even if you have nieces and nephews, like you just want to protect them, right? And not know about all of these things in the world that could hurt them. And I worry about that, I think, because eating disorders are so close to me. And I, it's weird to say they're close to my heart, but it's close to my heart because I've seen how I've become a better version of myself. And I think it's important to share that. And I want to be able to talk in front of my nieces and nephews about their body image and about what they're doing to care for themselves inside, outside, and enjoying the food that we share together. And that's and important. Sorry, go ahead. You're talking about that made it, I 
I only attended, I think, one family and friends session, but mm -hmm. it was discussion around eating disorders in boys and men. And I don't think that gets talked about enough. And I, you know, I hear nope. how you're talking about modeling for your sons. And I think that's just as important that, that they're less diagnosed, less caught up, you know, like people don't acknowledge that it's an issue or, and it can look like you said, an eating disorder looks like a different thing for everyone and eating disorders in our boys and, and the men in our lives are also possible and they're also damaging. So we have Absolutely. to have to not just think that this is just a girls and women issue, like that this is a human issue. Exactly. And that's the thing when you were saying before about like, you don't need a diagnosis to have an eating disorder. I think what you need to, what people need to research is just about disordered thinking, right? Like I said before about eating disorders, the furthest thing is about eating, right? It didn't start from eating, at least for me, some people it can, but it started with anxiety. It started with poor negative self-talk towards myself, like just not being confident and where that came from. I don't know. Like it just, it did. And even having boys too, whether they have a girlfriend or a partner or no partner at all, I want them to be good friends and good humans to others so that if they are in a relationship with someone else that they have, they have those scripts, like let's go for dinner and a movie. Oh my gosh, that was so much fun. Done. You know, we're not talking about what we ate, why we ate it, what it's going to do to us. I think that's important for all genders to be able to talk about and be kind to each other about. So Maida, is it Mama Strong that you're doing? It's Sydney Cummings. I don't know oh. if it, but it's just strong. I haven't done any of our other ones. I'm just doing this one and I love it. And I need to go buy 10 pound weights now. Yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah, you do. Yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> so that excites me because when I worked in the Thai stall, those milkers were really heavy and I had really great muscle mass. <laughs> and now that, you know, I'm still, but I'm still doing, there are still times in the new barn where you have to be like very physically strong and I don't have time to throw my back out anymore. I never did before, but I really don't have time to do it now. And I found such clarity with my mind, but I also have to be careful. I have to check in and that's why I'm doing it with some other friends because I have to take the rest days and also not like any addictions, there's like that obsession, right? So fixing one addiction can also lead to finding another one. <laughs> and that literally could be like painting every room in my house. And then when it's all done, doing it all over again, right? Like you have I to feel really judged. I'm just going to say it. I feel judged. I, I didn't paint every room in my house. I'm just saying. Don't start with me, Nada. <laughs> paint every room. I'm just using a, like, like puzzles, puzzles became an obsession because it's all I could do all the time. So yeah, I just have to find a little, got to even things out a little bit. I also should mention what helps and, or a big hang up for me. And I think this comes in the agriculture world is I also thought everything had to be homemade that was put on my plate or my kid's plate. But I will tell you a funny little story about our grandma Fraser. She is the coolest woman you could ever meet. And I, you know, I think a lot of us grandchildren thought she walked on water, still does. <laughs> She's made all these great meals. And when we'd have sleepovers, she would make the best Belgian waffles ever, like ever. And a few years ago, I was getting some recipes from her. I was like, oh, grandma, can I have the recipe for your waffles when we would stay over? She's like, a box. I was like, no, no, no. You know, <laughs> yeah. You know, like the ones that you'd make though, when we wake up, you're already making them. She's like, yeah their Aunt Jemima out of a box. And I was like, it was a game changer. I'm like, and she's like, Maida, 
you know, you can do all those things, but there's a reason some of those things were created. <laughs> I was like, you're right. So yeah, sometimes I like to make homemade meatballs because we have the meat in our freezer. And sometimes I like to buy a box of meatballs, add some sauce and bam, supper's on the table. Because the complaints will still come whether you make it either way. I could, I remember the beginning, I'd like make homemade chicken nuggets. Guess what? <laughs> the other ones are better. <laughs> like, I so, can't even imagine give the your... shit fit that would happen if I tried homemade chicken nuggets. On our <laughs> <table>. <laughs> Take a video of that. <laughs> you know, I feel like, yeah, that homemade, if it feeds your soul to do it, do it. Absolutely. Yeah. If you just need and to there are times the that table, you can. Then... It does feel a lot less personal though. If they reject uh, a frozen lasagna, it's like, whatever, I didn't make that thing. Not, yeah. I spent two hours making a homemade lasagna and they don't want it. <laughs> they don't and want then it. you go into the like, do you know that there's kids starving in the world and you should be grateful and hashtag blessed. Yeah. Here's Instead, your award. It's like, perfect. I get to eat the rest oh. of this thing. <laughs> Gosh. So yeah, that's where like giving yourself permission, right? We talk about that a lot. And that is a thing that I gave myself permission, right? And some people like to make X, Y, and Z homemade. And some people like to buy it. It doesn't matter. Again, no one wins an award. Fed is best and we all need to function. So I also really like breakfast for supper. Sometimes during harvest, especially it's five nights a week, if not more. <laughs> I know, you know, when I was a, an anxious new mother who didn't just throw chicken nuggets at my kids and run, I asked our pediatrician about how many servings of vegetables my kids should be getting and like how many servings of protein because there's no I mean I'm sure there is somewhere a food pyramid for toddlers there's a reason there's not they're not going to eat it anyway exactly and she said well does the girl child eat vegetables and I was like well how many like green vegetables orange vegetables like no she goes no at all has (laughs) a vegetable ever entered her body I was like well yeah she goes she's fine (laughs) Thank you. That's what yep. we tell people. Like, obviously, you shouldn't just never show produce to your children. Like, that's probably not a super great idea. But as long as they're, you know, physically healthy and fairly normally developing, they're not going to starve. No. Fine. And don't we all have times where, like, I mean, my I love chips. So when I I always have, we have a chip drawer, and everyone knows you got to watch out when you open it because it might avalanche onto you. But some days I just want to have chips and that's okay. Right. My nurse practitioner, I remember asking a similar question. She's like, as long as the meal, if you have a balanced meal within seven days, give or take, then that's good. Right. So it all evens out in the end Yeah, <laughs> or hopefully I mean, does. I can't say too much about the kids and their nuggets because I will happily eat peanut butter and jelly for lunch. Every right. Day. Always. Absolutely. Happen. Weeks on end. Yeah. Totally fine. Yeah. So if my kid wants nuggets again, fine. I don't have, have to eat them. So you go right ahead, kiddo. Yeah, yep. I've got I've got one kid, my 13 year old, who eats the same lunch every day. Like that's what I pack, and he's perfectly happy. So why would I switch it up when he wants the same sandwich every day? Like that's the one that's the one lunch kit that's easy to pack. And when he starts high school next year, he's gonna pack his own lunch, and it's gonna be the exact same thing, I'm sure, and he'll be fine with it. Well, right take now, and that's I just like don't you... want him in my kitchen in the morning. There's no <laughs> exactly. You need to be able to balance it. Like, yeah, lunches here are the same. And I realize that for me, if I'm helping make them too, like, I don't want to think a hundred things. I'm already thinking a hundred things. I don't need it, that energy to go into making the lunch and they're busy at school. There's enough going on. They don't have that much time to eat. 
pack what they're going to eat and then they can eat the other stuff when they come home. All right. So Mayday, we're, we're down to my favorite question. What- I'm so excited. Yay. I'm going <laughs> to mix it up one of these days and just like go off script and it's just going to be a mess. What fair <laughs> contest could you dominate? Ooh, okay. I got three. Wow. Yeah. I'm- I would dominate the best mac and cheese cooking like thing. I make a really good mac and cheese. I I'll have a competition. A live showdown. Bring it on. I also am willing to learn to make it even better if someone can do that too. That's okay. I'd also win for like having the largest inflatable costume collection. So I don't know how that would work. Like I just put them all on display with my a cutout of me beside it. Like this is my collection. I win. <laughs> I don't know. Picturing that fashion show. I know, right? <laughs> It's great. It takes a few minutes to get in and out of them. But what I was thinking that would be like a more realistic fair contest is that I am a really excellent friendship bracelet maker. So like embroidery floss. So a funny story with pandemic life, I was like, okay, I can't be giving my friends like friendship bracelets for their 40th and 50th birthdays. Like I think yeah, we're just, you can. Yeah, I guess I could. We're just, Nobody needs I felt that like, kind of negativity. I felt like we were past that stage. It's like, can't just keep making these bracelets so I was like okay I'm gonna take a I got some lessons and asked a lot of questions to Arlene and was teaching myself embroidery and since I'm awesome at making friendship bracelets I truthfully thought I'd have an Etsy store in like one week and I'd make like another income for our farm awesome well nothing makes you more humble (laughs) than trying a new skill and it not being you know that epic I'm getting better but I do not have an Etsy shop and probably will never. <laughs> I think you should have a friendship bracelet. Uh, I, I could have a friendship bracelet. I would totally buy some friendship bracelets. I just feel like friendship bracelets sell a lot better if it's like a 10-year-old selling them versus like a 38-year-old. Going to I don't know. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I should try it at the market next summer. Well, <laughs> just I mean, kids just... to sell them. Okay, exactly. that's true. Have one of your boys sell them. <laughs> did you sell. make these? No, my mom did. <laughs> lie it's really cute too <laughs> okay well let's cuss and discuss then not to fast start? forward too much. no okay cuss and discuss i'm, Maida, I'm just go. waiting to make the joke about Meta's platform blowing up <laughs> ah, i love it oh, going there that was it for the day i'm done now all right i'm going back you win an award for that one yeah so the one thing because this is sort of like to also like say that you've done good things too right yeah, for sure. So I did want to, so I'm going to recognize my inner and outer cheerleader, I call her. She's coming back. So that means like, you know, I'm more confident in what I'm doing inside and outside. And so this fall, I've been learning more tractor work. So that's my like, I'm proud of myself. Yes, I grew up on a farm, but I did not. All I grew up driving was the lawnmower. So my kids can drive tractors better than I can. I still stall a lot, but it's okay. I just keep going. But my future, I don't know even how to started I guess I'm trying social media scares me a lot because I don't want people to be mean (laughs) I don't like that stuff and I don't know how to navigate it but body brave that I mentioned I got to do I got to be like a lived experience panelist about eating disorders and I'm doing another session this fall which I'm excited about and so I'm going to try and be doing some work with them about advocating and just kind of putting a, a name a face to the disorder too because even that day that I did a few weeks ago there was someone that they, the coordinator sent feedback to me and it was a girl that 
same age as me, didn't know that Kingston had an adult eating disorder program and always, and she said, I just always felt like it was celebrities. Like no one was my age that was dealing with it. So I was like, oh my gosh, like how great is that? Because I felt the exact same way and thought all the same things at that time. I do think that there is a place for me out there to share this. And that's maybe why I went through it and why I can talk about it. So whether that means like guest speaking or I don't know. I don't know. I need someone. I think I need someone to be my manager. Anyone want that job? <laughs> need some help. But then in that, I love inflatable costumes because they make me laugh a lot. And we've used them for many events, uh, family events, Arlene's 40th birthday, you know, spreading kindness and laughter. For my birthday last year, I had 10 of my girlfriends come to the barn. We were all in our masks out of the milk parlor or milk house and we got in inflatable costumes and we walked around Westport which is just a little village that we live in and it made a lot of people laugh like it's just funny so I figure why not bring a heavy topic that's really hard to work through and add something funny and then I can also be that person that's like yeah I never thought I'd be here I didn't physically I didn't know that I would be living still and I didn't know that I'd actually feel like I want to help others or that I would want to be joyful. And that's not to say that every day is like that. There are still lots of days when you have depression and, and anxiety that can still take over a lot of days. But if there could just be a way that I could bring some joy to somebody else, even if it's one person, then I think that is a way of giving back. So what's your, what's your alter ego's name or your hashtag would Oh yeah, I, I'm making a hashtag. Arlene's daughter is helping me out too. She took some pictures for me. So it's hashtag inflatable farm her. Get it? Farm her. Farmer. Who knows? It, will, it can even just go viral with this group and that would make me happy. I just, there's so much that I've learned in especially the past six, seven years that I didn't know existed. I didn't, when you hear about like just talk or just reach out to somebody or use this for your toolkit. Like nobody talks about the things that go in there or what that work looks like. And so I think that, and also it's not, it's not accessible all the time either. Right. I'm really lucky that I ha I was in the position that I could drive there and back, but I actually went through a really hard time during COVID worrying about people. I didn't even know at clinic because I've been away from there for so long, but I was thinking how, how are those people getting help if they can't be at physically at clinic? Because if I hadn't had that opportunity to be there, I know what the outcome would have been. And that's, that's tragic, right? So I, so if there can just be more accessibility to learning how to make better choices and live life a little better, then I'd like to be able to help with that. Katie, do you have anything to cuss and discuss this week? I do. This isn't where I thought I was going with it, but I'm going to go there. I am so sick of people assuming that if you like ridiculous things, if stupid things make you happy, if not stupid things make you happy, if you've ever admitted to being happy or liking anything, it doesn't mean that you're not a serious person. It doesn't mean that your life is great. It doesn't mean that everything is perfect. It just means that you found something else you still like. I am really <laughs> over it. Life is too short to be serious all the time. And there is so much hard shit that you might as well enjoy the things you enjoy. And I know like for me, my big thing is bats. I love them. I think they're the best. 
And I love that because people know that I love them. They send them to me on social media. They say, oh, I saw this and I thought of you. And that knowing that people are thinking of you, knowing that it made somebody else happy to be able to do this for you, knowing that whatever, I feel like ridiculous things are going to happen to you anyway. So either you can choose them and kind of funnel that or the universe can just throw them at you. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the hardest parts of fertility treatments for me was how many people said, well, you just have to relax. That's cool. super well, helpful. just, we, yeah. we just spent just, our just, life savings on this. I'm, I'm still not pregnant. I don't think I'm, more relaxing is going to, to help with fertilization necessarily. It's not a well, I think it, correlation. It probably did for us, but putting it on somebody that they have to relax because otherwise it's now. their fault that their painful, expensive medical procedures aren't working isn't super helpful. Discussing and discussing is really going a different direction than it normally does. Okay, and mine, mine is going in a completely different direction from both of yours because it's a funny story I heard. Arlene, I just want to say that when I printed out the show notes for today, this line is the first thing I saw. And I was just like, what is, what is happening here? <laughs> okay. So for clarification, marijuana is now legal in our province, in our country. And so people are allowed to grow a certain number of plants per adult. Is it three, Maida, like per person or something like that? I haven't I educated know. myself on that. Anyway, each, each adult over 18 is allowed to grow a certain number of plants themselves, or you can buy it at dispensaries. For example, our town of less than 10,000 people already has two dispensaries and a third one on the way. And we actually have the one of Canada's or maybe Canada's biggest commercial growing operations in our town as well. It's a former chocolate factory, a brand name chocolate factory that moved abroad and now is a giant grow up. So anyway, so on the one of the local Facebook groups, there was discussion about the fact that people's marijuana plants were coming up to harvest time, right? We're all, we're farmers. Harvest is coming. The marijuana plants are looking great and beautiful. They've spent all summer taking care of them. And there's someone going around and stealing them from people's backyards in the middle of the night. And I just love the image of these cops who used to arrest people for growing marijuana, who are now (laughs) having to track down the guy or girl who is stealing the pot plants from other people's yards. I'm just picturing what the harvest meals would be like for... (laughs) Yeah, harvest. And I would go and, and harvest typical- in my inflatable suits and in my T-Rex <laughs> suit. I go harvest it. <laughs> yeah, and in typical small town fashion, of course, there's like a, a blurry picture of the back of some guy's head, you know, on someone's security camera, and then there's all these people chiming in with, "Oh, I think it's so and so. I think it's so and so." And then that person's mother or girlfriend or cousin. Oh like, my no, god, it's definitely not him. He doesn't even live here. He works out of town. So it was just. The best, you know, 400 comment thread that I had read in a very long time made my day. So on behalf of Katie and myself and all of our amazing listeners, thank you, Maida, for coming. I only cried once, which I thought was pretty good. (laughs) Thank you so much for sharing your experiences and being so open and willing to talk about your life and all that you've learned. And I know that you're making a difference in people's lives. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for opening up conversation. I think this is the stuff that we is important to talk about. It's hard, but people are going through it, whether we like to admit it or not. <laughs> and I hope if there's any of you that have questions, we'll talk to whatever professional you have access to, because there's a lot more education out in professionals that are ready to help. Thank you for joining us. 
As always, you can find us on Facebook in our private group, the Barnyard Language Group. You just have to send us a request if you want to come and talk to us and other farmers and farm families. We have a Patreon if you want to contribute to our coffee fund or to buy Katie some fill so that her boy will not step in cow shit. Or if you just want to pay for some laundry detergent for all the times he does fall in cow shit. Or some new leather boots. We've also got a Instagram at Barnyard Language. There is a email address, which is barnyardlanguage at gmail.com. And we will see you again at on our next episode. We also have Twitter, which is oh, yeah. at Barnyard Pod. All right, folks, until next time, may all your laundry get folded and may all your eggs make it in the house safely. Thank you for joining us today on Barnyard Language. If you enjoy the show, we encourage you to support us by becoming a patron. Go to www.patreon.com backslash barnyard language to make a small monthly donation to help cover the costs of making the show. Please rate and review the podcast and follow the show so you never miss an episode. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as Barnyard Language, and on Twitter, we are Barnyard Pod. If you'd like to connect with other farming families, you can join our private Barnyard Language Facebook group. We're always in search of future guests for the podcast. If you or someone you know would like to chat with us, get in touch. We are a proud member of the Positively Farming Media Podcast Network.